0: Hello, and welcome to the Turbulent World of Middle East Soccer, or Mid-East Soccer Podcast. I'm your host, James Dorsey. When Russian President Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine, he laid down a marker for a critical mass of world leaders who think in civilizational rather than national terms, like him. In the minds of these leaders, The stakes in Ukraine are about much more than the future of a former Soviet Republic or the rejiggering of Europe's security architecture. Much like Mr. Putin's ambition to establish a Russian world that is defined by the geography of Russian speakers and adherents of Russian culture, rather than internationally recognized boundaries, men like Chinese President Xi Jinping and Indian Prime Minister, Narendra Modi, envisioned a 21st century world order in which civilizationalist aspirations trump national sovereignty. To them, creating a 21st century world order involves coercion and potentially, if need be, the use of military force to redraw maps to suit their, at times, downplayed aspirations. It comes at the expense of the independence of countries like Ukraine, the rights of literal states in the South China Sea, and ethnic and religious minorities like Indian and Chinese Turkic Muslims, and potentially much of non-Indian South Asia. No doubt, Messrs. Chi and Modi are eyeing Ukraine closely for lessons learned. Mr. Putin has crossed a Rubicon at tremendous human, political, and economic costs with no immediate potential reversal. Mr. Qi has other immediate fish to fry. He is unlikely to cross a similar Rubicon anytime soon to achieve his ambitions in the South China Sea and Beijing's One China policy that views Taiwan as an integral part of the mainland. Neither is Mr. Modi whose ideological home embraces the concept of Akhand Bharat or an India that stretches from Afghanistan to Myanmar and encompasses nuclear-armed Pakistan, as well as Bangladesh, Nepal, Bhutan, Sri Lanka, and the Maldives. US and European diplomats take heart from the fact that since first becoming prime minister in 2014, Mr. Modi has refrained from publicly referencing Hindu nationalist geopolitical ambitions. He seemingly last spoke out publicly about those ambitions in an interview in 2012, when as chief minister of Gujarat, he suggested that Hindustan, Pakistan, and Bangladesh should rejoin. Nevertheless... One lesson the war in Ukraine offers is that the United States, Europe, and their Asian allies take civilizationalist aspirations lightly at their peril. Despite warnings by U.S. intelligence and statements by civilizationalist, nationalist, and far right voices in Mr. Putin's immediate entourage, many wrongly believed that the Russian leader was playing bluff poker in the run-up to the invasion, but would not send troops into Ukraine. Although the notion of Hindu rashtra, a Hindu nation, may seem far-fetched today, the same was said of Putin's expansionist ambitions until recently, said political scientist and journalist Sushant Singh. Six weeks into the invasion, a prominent militant Hindu nationalist with close ties to Mr. Modi predicted in the first indication of a timeline that the aspirations of the Hindu nation could be achieved in the next 15 years. You spoke about 20 to 25 years, but if we increase our speed, I say 10 to 15 years. I do not have the power as all it is with people. They have the control. When they are ready, everyone's behavior changes. We are preparing them. We will walk together as an example without fear. We will talk about nonviolence, but we will walk with a stick. And that stick will be a heavy one, said Mohan Bhagwat, the RSS leader. With 6 million members, The RSS is Mr. Modi's political cradle that gave birth to his ruling Bharatiya Janat party, BJP. It is an almost century-old militant right-wing Hindu nationalist paramilitary volunteer organization. Mr. Singh noted that RSS schools across India teach the concept of Achan Bharat. Moreover, an RSS publisher produces a map of India's holy land that includes Afghanistan, Myanmar, Sri Lanka, and Tibet. Mr. Modi's policies, including his 2019 amended citizenship law, that provides a pathway for citizenship to Hindus from Afghanistan, Bangladesh, and Pakistan, but not to Muslims. As well as the stripping that year of the autonomy of Jammu and Kashmir, India's only Muslim majority state seem to be nods towards Akhant Bharat. India's Muslims constitute the world's third largest Muslim community and account for 14% of India's 1.4 billion population. It may be a long shot, but Mr. Modi could be the one major civilizationalist leader with whom engagement has a chance of containment if not taming whatever irredentist instincts he may have. Those instincts likely constitute one reason why India sought to walk a middle road in the Ukraine crisis. In contrast to Russia and China, with whom battle lines have been drawn or are being drawn, engagement with India by the United States, Europe, Japan, South Korea, and other Asian states is based, for a good part, on a perceived shared geopolitical interest to counter the rise of China in the Indo-Pacific. In a broadening of engagement that goes beyond existing close economic and political ties, including the Quadrilateral Security Dialogue, or Quad, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz has invited Mr. Modi To attend a summit in June of the Group of Seven, or G7, in the Bavarian Alps. The Quad is a strategic security dialogue between Australia, India, Japan, and the United States, while the G7 groups Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, Britain, and the United States. In another positive sign of engagement, Hindu and Muslim religious leaders and religious nationalists are quietly exploring whether they can find common ground in shared humanitarian values. RSS executive committee member and former BJP secretary general Ram Madhav said in an interview last week with this writer that Eastern civilizations and Eastern religions all share the same civilizational value system. Mr. Madhav referenced Hinduism, Buddhism, Sikhism, Jainism, and an Islam with an Eastern value system like Indonesian Islam. Mr. Madaf, widely viewed as a moderate among Hindu nationalists, was referring to a concept of humanitarian Islam put forward by Nahadatul Ulama, the world and Indonesia's largest Muslim civil society movement. Nadatul Ulama advocates reform of what it calls obsolete and problematic elements of Islamic law, including those that encourage segregation, discrimination, and or violence towards anyone perceived to be a non-Muslim. It further accepts the universal declaration of human rights without reservations and envisions interfaith relations based on shared common values. Mr. Matoff spoke on the evening of his second visit to Indonesia in two years for talks with Nahdlatul Ulama. Maybe we can all stand up and talk about these values. Commit ourselves to those values, including respect for pluralism, inclusivity, and commitment to the nation state idea and patriotism. If something can be worked out jointly, we would be definitely happy to do that, Mr. Madhav said. In Mr. Madhav's mind, the RSS's vision of Hindu nationalism or Hindu Tava already incorporates principles of humanitarianism as articulated by Nahadatul Ulama. The movement's critics reject that assertion. Moreover, the RSS's alleged association with widespread intercommunal violence in India and perceived discrimination of Indian Muslims calls this into question. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. A written version of this podcast is on my blog, The Turbulent World of Middle East Soccer, at www.jamesmdorsey.net. Please join me for my next podcast in the coming days. All the best and take care.